You and I talked to Brian recently, and I enjoy digging into the notion of selling businesses. It's something that's a little bit new to me, but it's been something on my radar for a very long time. And as we are wont to do, we started talking more about it and realized that it's time to hit record, correct? Absolutely. And just for those that may not have caught the last episode is Brian Castle. And I think the title of it was, I sold five businesses in six months. And it, it was really kind of fascinating that the journey he went down and walked us through. But but to your point, we started talking offline that said, hey, we, we maybe raise more questions and answers yeah. as we were done. So we thought, you know what, let's hit record on this conversation. And, you know, if, if we're going to get value out of it, we think the, uh, the audience will as well. Yeah. And not to dwell on it, but we'll include in the show notes a link to the thread that you saw, Brett, that inspired you to reach out to Brian in the first place, where he spoke about selling five Five businesses in six months, I believe, right? Correct. I believe in the podcast, I said six weeks. That would have been truly yeah, remarkable. right. It was Amazing. Six months, so. <laughs> and I'll tell you the one thing. One of the things that stuck out to me in that thread was that he referred to his sales as base hits, not home runs. And and I didn't get to ask him about it. And I wanted to talk to you about that and dig into that deeper because what I found very compelling and what I think makes his story so attainable, replicable for others is that many of the businesses he sold were five figures or low six figure businesses. These weren't huge sales, but, and I know he referred to it as not a game changing amount of money, but for some people that actually would be right. Like if you're getting out from under something and you're selling that and then you can work toward the next thing, selling a company for 150 grand could be very life changing, right? Yeah, no, I think it's a super interesting dynamic change, I would say, because I think in the the old days, right, even five years ago, maybe a little bit longer, um, if you got to that point where the business stalled and even Brian talked about, hey, we never really expanded too much beyond our network because, you know, that's kind of where our sweet spot was. If that was the case, a lot of those businesses would just go away, right? The owner would burn out because they just couldn't get it to that next level. And I think Brian did some interesting things we can talk about where he built himself out of the business. But you know, having a different path to be able to sell that business versus, you know, either staying in in the long run and really breaking through, you know, getting beyond your network. And we can talk about there's some value and valuation improvements if you can get to a million or 10 million and then, then beyond. But I think it's an interesting alternative for folks. And one of the things I started thinking after that is, are they really selling businesses or are they selling a product? And mm. I don't think there's a wrong answer to it, but if it's a product, Maybe that is your business is to develop products and sell it to other companies, right? Yep. And I wondered about that too. There was something that stuck in my head. Like, is that is that in and of itself a business to create products, develop it to whatever that milestone is that you want to hit, sell and go? It's like the equivalent of, um, not well, not really the equivalent, but it's kind of like flipping houses. Like you buy a house in order to sell that house and move on to the next house. Like, is that viable? I'm sure there's people making a living doing that right now. And that's pretty cool for them and on their business. And I, I find that intriguing. And for you and your really rich history in the startup world, uh, I think that your perspective here is really interesting and important. So. One of the things we both took away from that is build, you right, your built your product or services company as you're going to sell it, right? Because if you're the owner and you're involved in 95% of all the tasks that need to get done or activities, it's going to be hard to decouple that. And even if you wanted to sell it, it'd be really hard just because you're still in the middle of it. So I think in a little bit, we can talk about the, the best ways to do that. But 
it did get me thinking about, you know, a different model, right? That said, hey, if I am good at this and I don't want to go, you know, we've, we've talked before, you know, you get to the business where you've maxed your network, right? And you get, this usually could get to six figures depending on how big your network is, but then expand to people that don't know you, that's hard. And that's where most businesses don't make it. So the question is, do you just keep pushing and persevering? And I think there's some ways you can maximize and do that. But if you know that's where you're going to get to and you're just ready to start the next product, you know, why not structure a business around that? Because there's always going to be bigger companies that can't develop new products internally, right? That would be super interested or another high growth company that would be interested in this specific feature that you created. And if you build it knowing that you're probably going to sell it as, as, a, as a product, I think it's a really cool idea. And I don't think it's just has to be for software. I think it can be in oh, yeah. a host of other areas that if you build this customer base and I think more importantly, the repeatable processes, all of a sudden you're going to have a lot of people interested in that. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there with the repeatable processes. And that's something that Brian really hammered home too. And uh, I, I think you can't stress that enough. And setting them and defining them and re refining them as early as possible and ensuring you get to that point. And and I know you mentioned, you know, building to sell, but then there's also the notion of, I think this is an important point that he touched upon too, is, is it that you can't persevere, you can't get unstuck, or is it that you just don't want to, like your right. heart's not in it anymore? And that's okay too. Yeah, hundred percent. And like I said, in the old days, I keep saying the old days, you didn't really have any options because it wasn't, nobody was thinking about how do I acquire this? Now there's companies like MicroAcquire and other businesses that are focused on these small businesses. Um, the thing that I would caution the, the owners is obviously Brian's been around the, the block a few times. So he understood what exactly what he was getting into. But if you're a new business, right, I just think from a valuation standpoint, getting to a million is nice. But once you get to five and 10, then you're almost writing your ticket for it. So it's a tough, and I think it, to your point is, are you not passionate about it? Do you not want to see this through? Do you not want to put the effort to get it over the hump? You know, it is a, a viable alternative, especially if you have another idea and something else that, that you want to do. So, And just to be clear for everyone listening to, we'll put some links to some of those um, platforms uh, for selling a business in the show notes too, if you're interested, because I'm sure that's a whole other landscape. And there's going to be some listeners who are extremely familiar with that environment. And there's going to be others where it's a completely foreign idea, especially someone like a freelancer. And I'd like to get your thoughts on that too, because in my mind, as someone who operated primarily as a freelancer, but always wanted to scale up and have removed myself, like all of the things that I helped you teach and that you taught and that I heard over and over again that I just never actually did myself, the irony, which is partially why I returned to the corporate world and now I'm back, but is how a freelancer could potentially look to sell the business. And, and it could be something as simple as selling off your clients. And and I don't know if you have any experience in this space, but to me, and I don't know, so I'm going to throw this by you. I'm just going to throw you for a loop here. Is it a flat sale or there, there's a, there's multiple ways to do this. Is it a sale? Is it like, okay, this, this person's on a one-year contract. We have this relationship and here's the flat rate if you want to take that. Or is it a referral fee where you, know, you pay me 25% commission on this 
is that and is that the same thing as a sale? I'm just trying to think of how this would apply to a freelancer. Yeah, I think it, it would. And I think you can get creative with it, right? How you want yeah. to structure the deal or the program, or if you want to call it a strategic partnership, right? Where you mm -hmm. become lead gen for a certain company. Yep. That's why I think it's exciting because I think one, first, we got to get more freelancers to think themselves as business owners first, yes. right? Not just a freelance, hey, I'm contracted. I just want to make more money than I was making in the corporate world and I'm happy. You may be happy for a while, but eventually you're going to get burned out because it's just that that hamster wheel where you're constantly going from project to project without any real strategic direction of where you want it to go. And it doesn't have to be a million dollar company, but understanding that, hey, if I want to be a freelancer, this is my business. What do you want out of it? Right. Is it just this or do you only want to work 20 hours a week and make the same amount of money? So if you back to our planning episode, right, have goals and plans figure out what you want. But I think taking that next logical step is there's going to be other opportunities and something you and I, I don't think we've talked about yet is the industrial revolution, I think is, is dying, right? The, the, the nine to five jobs are going away. They're still there right now, but I think we're returning or we will be returning back to that pre-industrial revolution where you are your career and what you want to do. And it's your life. And it's just a part of what you want to do. But Treat it as your own business and you are the business owner, even if you never bring out another employee, but like you and I both leverage contractors, virtual experts and assistants to take off some of those tasks that we're not good at. Yeah. And there needs to be a mindset shift, too, because I yeah. still see posts, too, from uh, owners who say something like, you know, a consultant will never understand your business like you do. Make a full time hire. And I'm sorry. I know I know I'm slightly biased, but I have been on the corporate end. I've been the VP of marketing who brought in a contractor and I've been the freelancer, the contractor, the consultant. I've, I've, so I've, I have a unique perspective in that regard, right? And that if you're not, if you're finding people who are giving you commodity stuff, right? It's like that superficial, it, it's the kind of thing you only get from someone who's an outsider. Then that to me just says you're not hiring the right people or right. you're not paying them enough. Because whenever I've worked with a company, whether whether it was a very small retainer, which they were when I got started in 2011, or, you know, a five-figure retainer, I'm a part of your team. Well, I'm a 1099, whatever the case may be. I'm a part of your team. I learn. I understand. I'm, I get you. And, and I think, and we, I talk about this uh, a lot. Actually, I've had clients mention it to me, which is, you know, badge of honor for me. But I care. Like I give a shit about your business, just like you give a shit about your business, because that makes me successful and it makes me better at what I do. And and again, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, so to speak. But the the reason I'm, I'm mentioning this is because you're going to have a more agile workforce. You're going to be employing more business owners, people who own their own micro business or however you yeah. whatever term you want to give. And if you don't recognize that shift and embrace it, I think you're going to get left behind, particularly as, you know, we enter some uncertain economic times, you know, just the ebb and flow. We all know it's coming in some way, shape or form. If you're not agile, you're not necessarily going to be poised to weather that as strongly as an organization that has that fluidity in in talent. Right. You know, it's such a good point. And even back to, you know, giving a shit, right, when I hired my first uh, virtual expert or admin, but it was more of an expert. You know, the question I was asking in the interview process is I know you can do all of this with social media and branding, but I'm like, what do you really like to do? Right. Because I'm looking for, 
not somebody that had the technical capabilities, but this is what they get up in the morning and this is the stuff they like to do, whether it's their company or helping somebody else, they care, right? They, they want to do the right job. And so I think it's, it really is a matter of finding one, the right resources and two, and it comes back to the owner of the company with clear communication and understanding and, and expectations of where we're trying to go. And, you know, that's one of the things I work a lot with owners now is kind of bridging that gap, right? Cause you, you had said, usually, well, I'm growing, so I need to bring in a head of sales or a head of marketing. No, you probably don't, right? Because there's so many sub processes under those big three of, you know, marketing, sales, and service that your business needs right now in the old conventional wisdom and why well, I need to go hire a full-time person because that nobody else can do the job. Well, you better get that absolutely right. And you better be sure that's exactly what you needed because it's a six figure mistake, if not in 12 months of, of lost time, where now where you can find these micro businesses with really talented people to plug in on, you know, a part-time basis in a short term, right? So if it's not the right fit, right? It's a, it's a one month or a two month experiment at a low cost versus, you know, a full-time hire. So I think there is a shift. And the good thing is I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs were really good at the first part to begin with. So being able to pivot into a new mindset, I think is going to be easier. It's just understanding limitations and, and what you really need for your business. Yeah, that's really important. And especially because we're talking about building to sell. If you want to hire a $300,000 head of marketing with equity and all of that comes with it and then expect them to devise a strategy and implement or fill out a team, then you're looking at 500K plus or you can bring in someone to create a strategy for you for 20, 30K and then use other contractors to implement that strategy. You're spending, you know, 20% of that you're, you're getting none of the risk. And then you have tangible deliverables that you can run with and you'll always have like it's it's little it's seemingly little things like that, though, that also force you to define those processes that enable you to be in that stronger position down the road to sell as well. Because when you work with a contractor or a consultant or a freelancer, I use these terms somewhat interchangeably. It's not very fair. Um, I came from the staffing industry, too. You could say I see it, whatever. Uh, but you have to be clear. If you don't have your processes, if you don't have all your ducks in a row, uh, then you're not going to utilize those individuals to their best ability. And so the earlier you bring them on, the more having your shit together, you're kind of forced to be. And again, that's just like setting you in this path. And it's changing your mindset from a very early stage, from that initial scaling time when you're first starting to expand so that you start to think about processes differently. And I, I think that's a really beneficial thing. Again, particularly if you're building with the mindset of, I hope to sell or I plan to sell. Or even scale, right? Because if you don't mm -hmm. have the, the processes in place and the thing I'd add to that is going with an open mind, right? If you don't know and understand, you know, sales, right? Because you're a, a technical founder or a business owner. Going with an open mind and when you're interviewing folks for positions, they can help you refine those processes, right? It, in general, you can say, yeah, this is how it works today. I bring in this customer, we go through this process. It may be choppy. We can get them through, you know, to the delivery and the renewal of the contract. So you do have a process, whether it's documented, whether it's smooth, it's not there. But then once you are starting to grow and you find those right resources, you know, let them help you redefine, right? Maybe your process isn't optimized in you know, just to, what you you got me thinking about is one of the other challenges I think entrepreneurs have. They 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 jump 
you know, too fast into one area or they're too slow sometimes. And, and you you know, me, my super simple way is there's, there's, I, I like, there's three stages for a, a business when it starts, right? The first one is learning. You're just going out on your own. You're getting a few customers. You're hearing what they like. They don't like what's working with your product or service. And at this point, you don't really need a ton of process, right? It's just, it's just pure. This is the hustle phase. You're leveraging your network. You're trying to get people. Part two is I say, now you're starting to get foundational, right? Because you do have some customers. You're like, all right, I think I can, there's a business here that I can build or a product that I can build. Now I need to get some of these baseline processes and metrics in place so I can start to understand how we're getting better. And then three is then the scale. Now you really need to start automating and you can almost automate earlier. But too often we go from learning straight into, you know, scale, but you haven't even figured out what the process is and it just accelerates. So my, my word of caution to folks out there is, is follow this for three steps and where you are in that journey is where you should be focused, but always with one eye, what's coming next. So. Yes. And to that point, though, I would love to kind of talk through with you, particularly because you've worked with so many startups, about what steps someone should take or what actual real life, like what am I doing at what stage roughly to to prepare my business to sell? That's where I'm going to put you on the spot because I, I mean, you have so much expertise in this area. So if, if I'm listening to this, how do I know if I'm ready? If it, you know, what are those signs? I think that's a good place to start. Yeah. I mean, the, the big one is if, uh, you know, Diane, I'm coming to buy your content business. You know, can I buy this without having you having to come with the business for, for 12 months? Because every customer knows you. And, or I think the other telltale sign is if your business, is it, is your business a personal brand or is it an actual business? Because if you've got customers that only want to work with you and they don't want to work with your team you're going to have a much harder time and, you know, and there's time and place for that, right? You do want to think about mine is a perfect example. I started with, you know, the brettrainer.com, but then realized that there was a bigger opportunity and, and kind of spun off it, its own business. Cause I do want over time, what I do isn't necessarily rocket science and it is, you know, the methodology is repeatable and other people can do it. So I didn't want to be tied to that forever. So I think it's, it's understanding how important you are to the business. And if you're, you have to, or you don't have to start, as Brian said, start working your way out of it. What processes are you in that you don't need to be in? And how do you start to move into an oversight role versus in the middle or making a decision on everything? And, and the only thing, the last thing I'd add to that is with these fractional or virtual or part-time folks now, it's so much easier to get yourself out of the business because you don't have to stress about making a full-time hire. But my long-winded answer is start to think about where your um, the business can't move forward without you being in it and start to figure out how you get yourself out. I don't know about you, and I certainly don't know about our listeners, but to me, the idea of being able to sell and get out of it, I, I have very minor needs. And I have most of my debt paid off. Like that's very attractive to me. But I know that realistically, I'm selling myself primarily. And I don't think that might ever work out for me. However, I'm working on productizing and doing the courses and 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 that kind of stuff. So maybe someday, but it's certainly not my goal because I enjoy helping people the most, more than I enjoy writing and all that. I enjoy helping people. But I think that's important. And I think that's a little bit of a stinger probably for some who are listening. But if you use that as an impetus to take action, 
then that could be dramatically life altering for you. Like, hey, so so Brad, I'm just saying right now, you could be giving someone the wake up call that they need to say, shit, I need to get out of this business while staying in it. Right. And so then what? So what if you're having that moment? Like, what are are there any like boxes to check that will help get you in line with where you need to be to start removing yourself? Yeah. And, but first, I think that's such a good point going back. What do you want out of your business, right? If you do like to be involved and want to be a part of the customer and be a part of that process, a lifestyle business, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But again, going back to owners and thinking about checking those boxes, one of the, the good tests, again, you know, I love my little sayings is what are you doing today, right? As an owner, can you eliminate it? Can you automate it second? Eliminate is good. That means it's just a non-value added process, just a waste. There's no value to anybody. If you can't eliminate it, can you automate it, right? Is there some way to make this happen through technology uh, process? And if no, is there a way to delegate it, right? And so I think if you start applying that filter to what you are doing in your business today, it'll give you a clear roadmap of, hey, here's where they, I have the opportunities. And the only thing I would also add under that too often, I think the owners think about from a sales perspective, but a lot of the businesses I see that get stuck, it's on the delivery side, right? So depending on what your business is, and if a delivery is a six week process and like with a ton of content to deliver, like in your world, if you have to deliver it, that could be the bottleneck, right? I could go sell three more engagements, but if you are the content creation person, just you picking on you. I mean, you won't be able to deliver and you're, you're, you're going to get stalled there. So I, I would encourage you to apply that filter across the entire business, the entire go-to-market. And there's other people who can talk about supply chain and all those other things. What we're talking about is really the, the customer-facing ends of the business. Yeah. I love the simplicity of that, though, because honestly, so much of this can be broken down and distilled into really simple, actionable things. So no matter where you are as an entrepreneur and how many businesses you've worked in and how many you've sold, like you can take action on this and and you can totally be that next success story, whether you're hitting a base hit or a home run, as as Brian defined it. I, I really like that. And what about as it gets closer? So you go to one of these marketplaces or these platforms, um, you know, what's involved there have you been involved in any any kind of transactions or any any of your clients been involved in that just from the buyer side so i'll give you my okay. my flip side because that's the area i'm starting to get involved in is, is buying some of these businesses so i think the number one is i want to i want to know your customer base right and i've had some folks from private equity on the podcast in the past that said you know no more than 20 percent, or i think ideally 10 percent of your revenue is coming from one customer so if you got more revenue, if like 80% of your revenue is coming from one customer, the valuations is going to drop. I think the other big thing is the reoccurring revenue, right? So if everything's just a one and done and there's no way that I can predict what the revenue is going to be next year and it's based just purely on new contracts, it's going to be a much tougher sell. So the good thing is if we back to the mindset shift, right? So if we think of what we do as services instead of just products, you know, there's plenty of ways to, to service what, create a service out of whatever product you have. And we were talking a little bit offline about, you know, fitness trackers and this stuff. And, yeah. you know, I've got my whoop band, right? I never paid for it. I pay $19 a month for the service and they give me all the analytics. Guess what? They, they ship me the band. On the flip side, if you have an, you know, an iWatch or an Apple watch, you're going to pay the $299 or $199 or $499. I don't even know how much they are. I think I and, paid 400 bucks for mine, but yeah. 
there you go. And so, but in your model, there is no reoccurring revenue. If I go to whoop, they can say, yeah, I've got 2000 customers and these are when there's contracts are set to expire. And we know our renewal rates at 85%, two exact businesses, guess which one's going to now throw Apple out of the equation because yeah. obviously they've done a lot of things. Or but a Fitbit, the, yeah. Yeah. A business model perspective, which one's more attractive? The one that you already know what you're going to, now you got to look at the cost and everything else, but I'm just giving you my perspective that much more value in that, the recurring value. So if we look at, and maybe that's another episode we should talk about is business models and how to approach things very much differently. If you can get on a retainer versus the old retainers, we can call it a different thing now, but again, it's just guaranteed as long as you're providing enough value, I get that gets super interesting. So those would be the two biggest things. And then the third is the owner. Right. So if I'm looking through and doing kind of an audit of the processes and see how that works, one, what's automated, how good is your data, right? Can we trust your data? And then three is from an owner, you know, how easy is it going to be to get you out of the business? And if it's not going to be easy, then you better want to stick around for a couple of years as we, we transition through it. Maybe that's slight exaggeration, but at least a year, if you're that, that deep in the business and it's a business I really like. So. I think a lot of those things that Brian had kind of talked about, but take it to the next step. And again, look at it from the reoccurring revenue to meet and uh, the diversified customer base. Yeah, I, I love this. I, I mean, this all, I, I hope you guys are taking notes here because Brett's dropping some really nice wisdom bombs here. And I also want to add on a completely unprofessional level that every time you say whoop, I think you're saying woof, a la Ryan Howard. And um, for people who get that reference, thank you. Let's be friends. But I think that every time, but I, 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 I do think that we should talk about different business models because that subscription model, everyone's gone that way. Fitbit now, now they're owned by Google and they literally know everything about you, including your heart rate. Um, they're on a subscription model and Apple got into Fitness Plus and, and then they paired it with iCloud and Apple TV Plus. So I don't know if you, you have an iPhone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you do the bundle? It's like 30 bucks a month. And so you get all of it in news. And so they clearly saw like, okay, we're a technology company, but they they pivoted and it's it's going very well for them. So anyway, even now yeah. Peloton is doing the same thing. They're, they're, I believe, I don't know if this is confirmed or not as of the date that this is public, uh, you know, dropping, but they're toying with the notion of either not charging for the bike or charging less and charging more for the subscription because- who would have thought that they cratered since uh, people yeah. started going back to the gym? But anyway, I find that fascinating. So I'm sorry to digress, but there's a little no. tease because we're totally going to talk about this in another episode. I love that topic. But even as an example, there's a company called designjoy.co. And I, mean, I feel bad. I heard uh, him on another podcast and I can't remember. I can't think of his, his name. We'll, we'll look it up in the show notes. But he's running a million dollar agency by himself as a design Ooh. design shop. And, but his model is retainer, right? So, hey, for this is your monthly fee, and then you can go to the website and see. But it's, so it doesn't have to be a product or hardware, right? It could be services, you know, the designers. So I think almost anything, even if you're, you know, a copywriter or, you know, content, there's things that says, hey, for, you know, $4,900 a month, you're going to get two white papers and this thing is just, it's just reoccurring. We don't have to go through a step. So to me, it just makes sense. I think everybody's getting much more comfortable and depending on what you would charged for a, an engagement in the past, right? Like the, the capital expense, right? So if you were going to say, Hey, this one time programs, $30,000, 
or you price it as a six months at, you know, $4,000. I didn't do the math right on that $5,000. You know, yeah. my point <laughs> that it's, it's a much, it may be a much easier sell for the business owner and, or your customers as you start thinking about it. So, so I think there's a whole different discussion we can have and maybe even find, you know, again, the, the founder of that company or some others to come in and talk about how they, they did that business, I think would be fascinating, but I, I'm all in on that. That's definitely a way. So even if you're like said, a freelance of any kind, think differently of how you can, how can you package your business? Yeah, absolutely. And even though it sounds like, oh, we did, we went off on a slight tangent, but it all comes back to positioning your business in the best, most attractive way to sell. So uh, I thought that was great. And um, any other last advice you have, Brad? What do you think? No, I, like I said, I'm super excited. And obviously we're doing this for a reason. We're going to welcome more and more of these freelancers into the, the entrepreneurial world. And I think the, the better we can get them set up, the less chance that they're going to go back to corporate America that you and I can both speak passionately about not wanting anyone to have to go back into corporate America. So whatever we can do to help, that's what we're here for. That's right. Good stuff. And if you love corporate America, then this probably isn't the podcast for you. <laughs> <laughs> touche touche yeah no that's good stuff all right well thanks guys i thought uh, i hope this is helpful i I know it was helpful for me and yeah absolutely whether you are a freelancer or you're at a different stage in your ownership journey i think that there was some really great advice here whether or not you're even looking to sell just for scalability profitability and, and finding that right balance for what makes a successful business for you yeah. And just getting started. Right. But as you go in, yep. eyes wide open. But if you have more of a plan, have a plan. Right. It's going to be you're not going to have to work as hard down the road to get some of these things in place. So the earlier, exactly. the better. Exactly. All right. Well, all right, Diana, thank you. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next thank week. You. Take care. Bye.